season, the third season for our live show and podcast, and first with the new name. And we have a great season in store for you. We are exploring the question, how to be a public Christian. Uh, today we have with us special guest Arthur Jones, friend of mine, the senior pastor of St. Andrew, co-founder of Invite Resources, and an Invite Press author. Arthur, welcome. Thanks, Lynn. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here with us. So let's do this. I've got all kinds of questions, and you're just the guy to answer them for us. I hope that's true. I uh, <laughs> I right. know other good friends that are smarter than me, so we'll figure that out as we go on. Well, that's definitely the case for both of us. But I, I'm really curious. We, we decided to set this whole season up because there seems to be a recurring theme in conversations I'm having about the role of Christianity in public life. And there's multiple facets to this question. On one side, we have people that say, um, I follow Jesus, I have convictions, but they feel private, and I don't know how to live that out. I don't know how to be a Christian Monday through Saturday. I feel comfortable in church on Sunday, but how do I carry that into my work life, my the boardroom, things like that? And then on the other hand, we have people who claim Christ very much in the public square, but um, maybe their actions don't always uh, reflect Christianity well. So um, how do we how do we deal with these? But I want to tackle that first one there, because I figure that in your role as senior pastor, you may uh, find people who come to you and struggle with the idea of integrating their faith Monday through Saturday, their faith life with the rest of their life. Uh, is that true? How, how do you how do you hear that from people? Of course, that's true. There is a huge difference. I can't do the headset thing. I'm going to do without that. Yeah, go, go for it. Uh, there's a huge difference between uh, people Sunday morning versus the rest of their week. But one of the things that I think about when I start to address that question is how are we actually preparing people on Sunday morning? What are the kinds of things that we actually do in churches? Because you say there are people who are prepared to live fully on Sunday morning, but I think there's a huge discipleship problem, a huge consistency problem okay. for people feeling even confident enough, even in church on Sunday morning. They want to believe, they may do, they may believe, but there's a huge jump between believing it and being able to articulate it. Mm. That is a huge jump. We often see that in terms of parents. So at St. Andrew, we have a lot of adults who believe in Jesus, want to have their kids grow up with it. But we've come to a more of an expert world where people expect experts to handle everything. You think about um, sports, right? Recently, my kid played a sports game against the kid of someone famous. I'm not going to name names, but that kid kicked our kicked my son's soccer team. Just <laughs> it was it, it was hilarious. You're like this all these four-year-olds are sitting there and they're doing great. Like actually my son scored a goal. I think that day, like it was a really good day for him, but the other kid who was a superstar scored 12 out of 13 goals for the other oh, team. Yeah. I mean, it was like pity. We like quit it after the third quarter. Now my kid's decent. He's not horrible, but you've got some kids who I look at and I'm like, man, I, what do you want to bet that pro athlete has for their five-year-old, someone who can actually train their kid how to kick the ball you better believe I'm no professional at how to kick a soccer ball, right? Mm. The same thing's true at work. They hire experts for everything. We have such a commodified world, such a, such a specialized world where each single commodity has its own expert in it. So when I talk to church members about what they do, one of my best friends here for a while, his job was uh, uh, purchasing nuts for Frito-Lay. 
And so his only job was the purchase of a specific nut. Wow. For Frito-Lay, maybe like two nuts, but still what a ridiculous subset of things right. you like that specialization is utterly fantastic. One, it allows for really good nuts that we all like to eat. Number two, it raises the expectation that you've got to be an expert in order to have a belief or a thought. Mm -hmm. And so you see this often in the newspapers too, when you talk about experts, the problem is no one but you can be an expert on what you believe. Mm. No one can, but you can be an expert on how do you live out your faith journey. And so it takes a level of effort. that's really difficult for people who are dad, mother, uh, leader, CEO, all sorts of things. It's such a difficult thing to accomplish. So when you have people drop off their kids to St. Andrew, they go, great, you're the expert. Mm. But you can't be the expert in your own family's values. You cannot hire that out. So you're saying that people come to you and they, their attitude, whether this is articulated as such or not, their attitude is often, I'm not an expert enough as a Christian to be able to speak to this issue. I need your expertise to speak on my behalf. That's right. And I do think there's a lot of that that happens. I, I think particularly this is the downside of a world in which you have a, a, a huge gap between large and small churches uh, okay. because you have large churches that can hire experts. But frankly, when everyone, I mean, when I grew up, we did vacation Bible school. I bet you, you were like this growing up. And man, you had to have everyone in the town teaching classes just to have oh, vacation yeah. Bible school. Heck yeah, absolutely. It's not the way the world works anymore. Yeah. And that's not really the fault of church. It's just the reality of the world around us. And so when you have people, particularly, I mean, St. Andrew's is a place full of experts in their own particular fields. Like you don't just have a mortgage expert. You have a, you know, expert in particular types and sizes of section eight, you know, mortgages. Right. Well, everyone expects that level of expertise and they go, well, I don't know how to do another type of mortgage. Why would I know how to talk about Jesus? That's what I pay you for. Mm -hmm. I think there's a huge shift that's got to happen. For people to own their own faith and particularly the faith of their families. How do you want it to be? What values do you want to have? There are some things you cannot outsource. So if, if I'm sitting listening to this live or on podcasts later as we do, and people are hearing this and they're thinking, okay, so you're encouraging me to develop my own expertise. Um, how, how do we do that? Hey, are churches equipped to do that? Are people privately equipped to do that? How do they know what are good sources to learn? Because, you know, any kind of expertise, you you have to know what are reliable sources. What, who do I listen to? Who do I not listen to? I would look for people who are wise and who have systems that can help you accomplish that. I frankly think, and this is a conversation I'm having with some other large church pastors, we've got to redo some of how we do church. Hmm. We've got to think about our own adult ministry discipleship processes. And that's some of the work that St. Andrew is trying to do right now. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Invite Resources is Invite is the kind of place where uh, we publish people that are high on Jesus and low on politics, people that focus on, on truly sources that can change people's lives and that are trusted sources in that process. You know, I think about, you know, when you try to find experts in anything, what do you do? We've got a lot of people around here who have gotten cancer recently, mm -hmm. friends of mine, staff here. Mm -hmm. Everyone says, well, hey, go to my person. I trust them. Mm -hmm. So that you keep trying. I mean, there's no way to figure out objectively who the number one cancer doctor or the number one church right. or pastor, whatever. You do look for people who have experiences that demonstrate wisdom. 
deeper than others and or deeper than what you see in the rest of the world. And I really think that's what churches and church leaders have to model. How do you right. actually model? I mean, the title of this podcast is Live Like Jesus. Right finding people for whom they don't say the words of Jesus, but they simply live like Jesus and then modeling yourself after them, uh, figuring out how you involve yourself with them. Uh, those are the kinds of things that, uh, I think are really crucial in that piece. That's great. And we, you know, we also live in this world with that recommendation is everything, right? It's, uh, you know, he said, go to my doctor. So you have a trusted source, a trusted friend. You don't know the doctor, but you trust that person. Social media, that's all that is, right? Social proof. You listen to your friend's recommendations. Yeah, the problem is when you do the social media piece, you're you're finding people for whom they're leveraging their outer selves and not their inner selves. Mm, say more about that. So, well, I think it's actually framed in the way that you frame the question, right? So you frame the question is, there are people who want to live more like Jesus Monday through Friday, and there are people who are saying they want to live like Jesus and don't in the wider culture. This seems to me like the parable of the piece when Jesus says, there are two men who prayed. One of them went into a quiet room and beat their breast and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner that I am. And the other one went into the public sphere. Which of them was truly praying? Right. This yeah. is the problem with actually living like Jesus with true discipleship is it's not actually slick. It's not Instagrammable. It's not social media worthy. So the problem in our world is we're recommending the outer side and ignoring the inner side, right? It's like the Pharisees who cared about the outer righteousness rather than the inner righteousness. The difficulty with the problem we have about how to become like Jesus is the flashy, the flashy ain't what Jesus talked about. This is paradox. Like we we know we're all media savvy now. We know what it takes to develop followers, to develop quote unquote influence online. But those are the exact opposite things in many times in many situations of what it means to truly exhibit Jesus and to live like Jesus, isn't it? It is. And it's also incentives matter. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and this is something particularly in the in the corporate world that is something I talk to a lot of people about. Uh, in fact, in my book, I wrote for Invite Resource, I have a whole section on this because pro for-profit companies that have quarterly reporting, I believe are not inherently bad, but you have to fight against the incentive for the quarterly reporting. Mm. Great leaders do not work on a quarterly basis. They work in years and sometimes decades. The great leaders, I mean, you think about the book, Good to Great. This is precisely about that. This is Jim Collins's epic book where he looked at people who took something from good to great. And it wasn't the flashy people. It was the level five leader who was relentlessly focused on the mission and the vision in the long term and paired that with utter humility. Yes. Yeah. That combo is rare. And so the incentives of, well, hey, I need flash so that the stock market can actually give me a quarterly number because I'm going to have an earnings call that I've got to have that's going to have thousands of people on it that's going to dictate whether or not I keep my job. That incentive is backwards. Right. I'm not saying private companies are all better than public companies. I'm saying that you've got to be clear about what incentives you have in your world. To use a sports analogy, it's the coach who says, win now at all costs. That's right. Right. So you make different choices in order to win today versus you would be in order to win in two or three years. I'm so glad you brought up the University of Kansas, Lynn, and the Jayhawks <laughs> in football. Um, no, it's really funny. Like, uh, So I'm a Jayhawk, just rock chalk. Um, and we're five and zero right now. I'm so glad we're recording this podcast before we play TCU because who knows what's <laughs> going to happen on Saturday. 
On the other hand, we went for flashy coaches for mm. years, for a decade. I mean, um, uh, who was the Weiss? Uh, was the guy from Notre Dame that we hired for a while, but Les Miles was the most recent flashy coach. Like Kansas University hires Les Miles is a banner-worthy kind of thing. Mm. He did nothing. Then we bring in Lance Leipold, who is the most understated human who's just trying to get people to do the basics. And all of a sudden, we're now 5-0, and looking at possibly getting bowl eligible. We haven't done that since I went to college, basically. Yeah, wow. That's the world in which that that is precisely the kind of framework. And I think Christians have to be deeply suspicious of incentives mm. because we are fundamentally flawed humans. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Like this is the Christian framework, right? Yes. We are broken. Yeah. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am not who I wish to be. And to quote Paul, I do the things I do not wish to do. And I don't do the things that I wish to do. This is the Christian understanding of our human nature. And so what it requires is a fundamental assessment of our incentives. Not for really this podcast. Maybe it's why I'm not a communist is mostly because I don't think it's suspicious enough of human incentives. Mm. I, but I'm not really a capitalist fan either fully because frankly, our incentives ought to be more than just revenue. But here's what I believe. I believe that when Christians are focused on the right things and the values, actually the companies profit more. That actually it forces you when you're suspicious of your incentives to do the long, hard work of decades mm. rather than the short term work of worldly incentives. And that's a different ballgame. I want to talk about the St. Andrew mission statement for a minute. So people who are listening who right. don't know about it. So can you state the mission statement? You're the, the owner of this thing. So what? Uh, the whole one? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that requires a little bit of context for it. Right. So uh St. Andrew in 2010 read a book called Almost Christian by Kenda Creasy Dean. Excellent book. Can't recommend it enough. It holds way more true today than it did then. And it's really remarkable where she did a search of uh, kind of actual faith of people. And she coined a word called Christian-ish. She looked around the world and said what, what people are actually proclaiming to believe is not actually true historic Christianity. They are actually following something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Basically, Jesus loves you so that you can uh, feel good, kind of be good, and God's only there in, in case you're, uh, you know, uh, need Him because you have cancer or you're Aaron Judge. You got to hit a sixty-second home run, right? Like that's that's really what God's there for. That's that's moralistic therapeutic deism, like a benevolent trust fund daddy or something. Benevolent like trust fund daddy. <laughs> and we said we don't want to be a part of that. I think that's one of the reasons why the world is why the Christian church has been declining, is mm. because we have a world that we have a church that doesn't fully reflect Christ. Um, and so that, which is like the, be like Jesus podcast. So we crafted a mission statement that would intentionally push people. So our mission statement is that we exist to call the Christian ish to become passionate servants of Christ. That's a weird, it's a weird mission statement. Actually, what's really funny is we're actually working. We're not going to change our mission at St. Andrew, but we are working on other language. Uh, technically the word is copy other language that we can't talk about that felt that piece. I remember when I, you, you hired me, there's a long backstory there. We won't get into that one today, but I remember walking down the hallway, the bridge between the two halves of the campus here. And I saw that on a banner. This is my first time on campus. And it was just hung really large right there. It's like, uh -huh. yeah. my first thought was, well, that's kind of rude. And then I thought, no, I like it. 
because <laughs> it's kind of in your face. The problem is if your mission statement shouldn't or something that's front facing to the public shouldn't require a 10 minute pastoral conversation. Right. Right. So um, but there are all kind of ways to talk about that where we have settled too often. And I, I mean, we as in Christians and basically everybody have settled for something less than what God offers us. And we've been talking with someone who's going to work on some uh, language with us for Christmas and moving forward. And one of the things that he was asking a question about, what do we mean by that? How do you actually get at the core of that? And I actually uh, was quoting C.S. Lewis some in it where there is this longing. Uh, there is this inkling that we have that the world is not what it ought to be. Mm. There's a longing for something deeper and purer and better and holier. And that's actually what I find with leaders who are Christians is they're effective at their job, but know that it doesn't actually satisfy. And so for those who have an inkling that what they are looking for will not actually satisfy and bring about the world that they wish they lived in, St. Andrew exists to call people into passionate discipleship of Jesus Christ to find a deeper and purer and better way. And it doesn't mean that we have all the right answers. It means that we gather together as Christians, acknowledging who we actually are, what our incentives actually are, and say, how do we get better at that? Uh, I mean, go, going back to Kansas football, of course, Lynn, one of the things that I really like that Lance Leipold does is he says, uh, the goal of our football team is to get 1% better every day. Mm. That if you find a trajectory of good, a trajectory of, of something deeper, 1% doesn't feel that more that difficult. Right. But 1% day after day after day after day is a whole new exponential trajectory. I saw a meme the other day that I sent to my family that showed two ladders and one showed the first rung like at your, your shins, you know, and there's just many, 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 many small rungs. And the other was like the first rung was like above your head, mm -hmm. you know, and so many people don't start because they can't even grab a hold of that for it's just too, too far away. Right. Versus the idea of daily habits is like little tiny incremental steps, you know, and if you keep doing them, then all of a sudden you developed a, a system of change in your own life. Uh, and, and, and that kind of leads me to think, too, of what you were saying earlier about um, we were you talking about public Christianity. And I was thinking there's a way in which it's kind of oxymoronic. If you're following Jesus and you're doing the daily work of being a Christian, then there's an integration that happens with your life between private Christianity and public Christianity. Mm. And so the question becomes maybe a moot point where you don't even have to worry so much about whether you're public or not. Is that true? Do you think that's no, not true? No, I think you have to actually intentionally decide how you want to be perceived. Okay. I, I do. I I actually think uh, my parents' generation, uh, our parents' generation, really lived into the kind of uh, preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. Right, right. Kind of framework. And I think there are... What I like to talk about is how do you intentionally frame your life in ways where you can dial up the Jesus or dial it down? Oh, okay. Not in a binary piece of, well, I'm not going to say anything, but rather, so for instance, we've got a podcast we have called Leading People, where we ask people precisely this question of how do you lead people? And all the, uh, almost all the great leaders we've talked to, they have ways of identifying their Christian values without being preachy. Right. There's a way to preach without being preachy. And so like Dean club in our first season, uh, the podcast, the second season just dropped recently. Um, uh, Dean club put on his wall, 
the greatest commandment or not, no, not the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, it's not a, no, no secular person can argue with that. Right. right. No, no, no company uh, that has their own rules and regulations about it should frankly hate the golden rule. But yet it's also a sign to say, listen, I, I'm going to try to be a different kind of leader. It's a public symbol where if someone asks you about it, you can then talk about Jesus. Mm. However, you don't have to lead with Jesus. It's simply there. And then it reminds you when you got someone sitting across the table, you're about to fire. How would you want to be fired? How would you want to do that? Or how would you want to deal with a hard conversation or a challenging one? Or when someone screws up because they will, how do you provide the grace? Because that's what you wanted right? The judgment that you meet out will be meted out against you. That's the kind of framework that I think is cool. And so how do you kind of give levers? Another word for that is actually servant leadership. Okay. If you're in a public company and you say, listen, one of the things I want to model and I expect from my leaders is servant leadership. Well, that's not exclusively Christian, but it sure is something that can be dialed up and dialed down that points to something deeper and purer and better. So that for those who work for you that have an inkling that what they're striving for is not will not satisfy, they've got a way to get at it. You know, this dial up, dial down idea, uh, I love. I was talking this morning to a guy named John Eckert. He'll be one of our guests later this season. He's on the faculty at Baylor. Uh, he was in the education administration underneath both Bush and Obama. Interesting. Uh, interesting guy. Yeah. So we'll have him on here in a couple months. And he was talking about that part of his role now is to educate uh, educators who are both going into public and private uh, uh, learning atmospheres. And so I was asking him about his faith in this context. And that's exactly the language he used. The same exact language. Interesting. A couple hours ago. He said, I dial it up and dial it down and I teach my people do the same thing because he said we're about half and half and, and within private we're about half catholic half protestant so you've got to but you got to figure out in public atmosphere he gave me an example he said he wrote a paper for uh corwin which is an educational uh, publisher totally secular academic and he said that he quoted paul from first corinthians and they made him take it out and he said it was the only unsighted source in his paper all the other he, he, like he wasn't allowed to cite paul all the other sources, of course, are cited and documented academic scholarship and whatnot. But he says, I plagiarized, I was forced to plagiarize Paul. So <laughs> that's really funny. So, so he said, There's like, and that's the case where you're dialing it down. But plagiarizing Paul, by the way, is a really good book title. Someone should write a book entitled Plagiarizing Paul. Like, right. how do you actually? Anyway. Right, right. So he's I think, to dial that but, down. Right? You know, you talk about him working for both Bush and Obama. Yes. Like, you know, one of the things we say about the St. Andrew people is that they're politically savvy. They are political. They have their own political beliefs. And frankly, we don't agree on a whole, a whole host of things, I'm sure. Right. But how do you be savvy enough to understand when it's helpful and when it's not? And how do you bring it in in ways that are savvy and wise, that are not oppressive, that are not rude, that are not hypocritical, but actually help you be the version of you who that you wish to be? That to me is about the kind of a core values and inner work piece of identity that allows you to be the same person Monday through Friday that you say you want to be on Sunday. So what's your take on the, the feeling that a lot of Christians have that we're now in an atmosphere where we're really, um, I won't say persecuted, but there's some people who say we're not allowed to be completely honest and open about our faith because we're, we're shut down. Like, like this example I gave is, is a sure not being example. able to quote Paul. Right, right. Some of that I think is just you quote Paul and you say then you take it out and I'm gonna like I, some of that I think you do need to just be bold and say hey listen I'm doing this I'm 
there's I'm not going to apologize for my faith. Like I think there's a certain amount of boldness that has to be there. Yeah. The problem is it's really hard when you read scripture. We're about to preach this weekend, by the way, on Philippians when Paul's in prison in Ephesus mm. and he's writing a letter and he's writing it with joy in his heart. So here's the deal. We might, I mean, I'm not going to say there's no persecution and no cancel stuff happening in the world. I believe it exists. I simply believe if you believe that you are a victim of a persecuting world, you've got to really struggle to actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Mm, okay. Like, okay. like the, the, there is a deep connection between a, G, a God who says, bear your cross, a Paul who says uh, he's in prison and he's writing with joy to then whine about getting kicked off Twitter. Now, should you get kicked off Twitter? Probably not. Should you be bold? Maybe, probably. But there's a whole difference in attitude of saying, how do I create out of this? How do I be innovative out of this? I actually believe the church has been better when it has been persecuted while it maintained joy. Mm. So instead of looking at that as a negative, I would say, well, then all the better to stand up with. Mm. All the better to be clear about who we are and why. Not in a persecution mindset. And honestly, I don't know how persecuted we are or aren't. I have never felt persecuted in my life. Uh, in that way, I do believe the world is becoming much more intolerant of views that it doesn't like. And I think that that happens in political spheres. I think it happens all over the place. And I do believe that exists, but some of it is because I think we Christians have just articulated ourselves and lived ourselves so poorly that we've got work to do to recover how badly we have portrayed the Christ who died for them. Mm, okay. So I wanted to talk about this as well. This was one of the facets of this question at the top of the show, as I was mentioning, uh, there's a book that you and I think I both read called bad religion by Ross Douthat, who is a, was a columnist for, I don't know, is he still a columnist for the times, the New York times? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. So basically his premise in this book, if I remember it right, is that we don't live in a, in a religious free zone or society in America. We just live in a society in which religion has been conflated and syncretized and blended with all kinds of other beliefs, which are not authentically Christian. And so you have people now who claim Christianity, who behave in ways that aren't really kind of classically Orthodox Christian. Um, your thought and take on, on that idea. Well, I think, I think Ross Dow, that's a fascinating human who writes really well, uh, and has a lot of great insights. I think in general, he's probably right on this point. Um, I think in general, he's right on this point. I, I don't, you know, my, my thought about the, about the secular world is I can't control it. I can't control. I mean, honestly, recently I just discovered that Eminem and, uh, oh, who, uh, Kanye have the number one gospel album of this last month. He's now ye, right? Kanye. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not cool enough to leverage that. I'm just going to say Kanye. <laughs> um, but, I actually, it was the other, we, my wife and I went down, we watched um, Michael Bublé. That's where I was. And and she told me this fact. And I'm sitting there reading the lyrics of Kanye West and Eminem writing the number one gospel hit. That's just wild. Uh, one, actually, it was pretty good lyrics. I mean, there's some, I, I, I have questions about what they mean by some of it. But like, I, I'm just simply utterly fascinated by that piece. I have no interest in controlling or saying what is Christian or is not from judging anyone else's heart. I have no idea. Honestly, I, I don't even know how to begin to navigate that piece. Right. What I can do is control myself, right? What I can do is control my own life and my own self and my own framework. 
And so I really, uh, I pray that God is using Kanye West and Eminem to bring people to the Lord. Mm. That's all I can hope. I mean, literally the, the passage I'm preaching on this week in Philippians 1, what, what does it matter if someone preaches Christ out of envy or selfish ambition? What does it matter? This is Paul when he's in prison and he can't go and preach. Yeah, that's great. And so other people are preaching. And so I sit there and I go, well, what do you, what can you do? And so Philippians 2, uh, well, have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus, who though he's in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. So that when we are asked, this kind of goes back to the public versus private Christian piece. All I can do is actually ask myself in that moment, am I actually living up to the values of Christ? So, okay, this is great because we've talked at St. Andrew how we we're not, we say low on politics with invite. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're, we don't care about politics. It doesn't mean that we don't have opinions, but it's different than being able to, being forced to kind of fit into the frameworks of the world. Yeah. Right. And so when you say you watch uh, Kanye and Eminem, you're aware of it. You don't have control over it. What you do have control over is your own sphere yeah. in your own local space. So you can be public in that. Don't worry about what's happening in the larger world with public Christianity. Pray for it. But don't don't be anxious about it. Instead, focus on your own life, your own habits, and your own. So, being public is really a local question. I think it's a personal question. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think it's truly about: Am I living into who God made me to be? And sometimes that requires big, bold acts. Sometimes it requires for me to stay quiet, even when others say other things about me that aren't true. Mm. Okay. That's okay. I can't control what other people say or what other people do. Um. All I can do is say, I'm going to wake up today and say, okay, God, am I in line with you? Am I in line with who you've made me to be? Am I doing all I can to leverage the talents, the gifts, the graces of not only my own life, but the organization that I am tasked to leave, lead for this season, that I'm tasked to steward for this season? Am I leveraging every single day for the kingdom of God like I can? Um, honestly, I really hope Kanye's sincere and I have no reason to believe he isn't, Uh, you know, so I'm not going to focus and worry about the rest of it. Partially, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. But mostly when you ask about persecution, when you ask about kind of the public sphere and people that are hypocrites and all the rest of that, I hear fear. Hmm. Okay. I hear fear in, um, I hear fear in the in the voices of public Christians or in people worried about that public space. I hear fear in institutional leaders when the institutions are dying. Mm. I hear fear in the uh, in the older generations worried that Jesus is not going to be preached and proclaimed. Right. We have no control over such things, and I frankly think fear makes you do things that are not of God. We, I, Robert Hasley, our founding pastor who died this summer of cancer, lived with terminal cancer better than any man I've ever seen in my life. Recently, we just showed a video at church of him where he said that sometimes people are so afraid that, and that, then that fear is not of God. It makes you turn inward mm. and do things that actually aren't like Jesus. I think if you're afraid you are not actually espousing the love that Christ actually has for his children. And so that, that to me is kind of the public piece. So when you even ask about kind of the public Christian piece and the dial it up, dial it down to me, the dialing it up and dialing it down is not about fear. It's about effectiveness. 
Mm, okay. Right. Okay. So if you're going to dial up Jesus or dial it down, I'm not going to dial down Jesus because I'm afraid of persecution. I'm going to dial down Jesus if and only if I believe it's necessary for me to demonstrate my heart and ways of doing so. Okay. So this is great because I, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you about someone who's you know, dealing with a, a very real world problem, an ethical situation, perhaps that they're, they're dealing with at work. And they're thinking, I need a framework to understand how to respond. I understand, yes, I'm supposed to be a Christian publicly, but you've just given someone a rubric to understand how to deal. Are you are you thinking and feeling out of fear or out of faith? Yeah, right? you so could also substitute faith for love. I mean, if some of you by chance are watching this and you don't quite yet believe Jesus rose from the grave, uh, love is the secular substitute for Jesus. Uh, although I will say a nice piece of it to understand is uh, J.D. Walt recently, one of our friends who leads a different uh, publishing group called Seedbed that we like and we really uh, value what they do. Yeah. Uh, he recently wrote that the most important verse of the New Testament is 1 John 3.16. Um, okay. uh, and 1 John uh, 3.16 is that we know love and that Christ died for us. So if you actually want to know true love, true love in the world is not what we're told it is. True love in the wider world actually is best described by God who gave himself for us. And so that piece, if you need to substitute love for a piece of time, then do so. But you ought to discover what true love is, which is actually Jesus who gave his life for us on the cross. And uh, anyway, I just think that's a crucial piece of it. But that's good. the that's question, good. the a rubric, if you're looking for just an easy rubric about am I leading in a way that leads towards God or not is actually out of fear, out of love. And I think that's an easy way to understand, are you acting with the creativity, mm. uh, coaching and challenging the world to be all it can be? Or you can operate out of fear, imagining that you're a victim of forces beyond your power that you cannot recover from. And that means everyone you meet is not a child of God, but someone to persecute you or um, hate you or be frustrated with you. Mm. I think the level of fear that I see among Christians is far too high for those who truly believe that Jesus is risen and the victory has been won. Mm. Wow. Okay, Arthur. Man, that's a mic dropper. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple things. Uh, you mentioned your book earlier. Uh, we published uh, your book, Solid Souls. It's been a little bit now, but um, this book, I think, is super helpful for people who are dealing with these questions because you deal with these questions specifically in the book. In fact, you tell a story about your own family history and ethical questions that happened yep. and the response that happened as a result of that. So um, just want to plug your book for you. Yeah, any other comments about I, that? No, I, it's my book that uh, I wrote because I needed it, right? Like it's a book for me. It's a book that describes how do I actually find a solid trajectory because I want to be more solid tomorrow than I am today. I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. It's really a book about 1% improvement. I think had I written the book today, I'd include the Kansas Jayhawks football team in it. So of course you would. Go. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they were doing. What were they doing two years ago? They were horrible. Okay. <laughs> we had less miles. I was about to get fired for covering up some mess at LSU. Right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Cutting room floor there. Yeah. Uh, and you also your podcast, Leading People. So you've done been doing this for a little bit now. Yeah, we're uh, in the middle of our second season, um, finalizing the recording for the second season and wrapping that one up. Um, so it's been really fun. We've talked to people. Uh, from football coaches. In fact, I've got a great interview next week with a professional golfer and a uh, and a Bible study coach, a Bible study leader for golfers. Oh wow! Uh, and okay. so that's going to be a really fun conversation. I look forward to that. 
That is great. And they can find that Spotify, all the places you do. Look for leading people is the name of it. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for being here, joining us today on our first episode. Awesome. I'm excited about this. And uh, may we all live like Jesus. The world will be a little bit better. Yeah. All right. A couple of final plugs as we close the week. Uh, A couple of things are happening with Invite Press. We just dropped uh, an Advent devotional book called Comfort and Joy by Julie Arbrough that was released uh, yesterday. Uh, we also have Through the Storm, a book of poetry by Michael Agnew coming in the next few weeks. A couple of books on pre-order status. If you visit inviteresources.com, you can find those. And next week, our special guest is a good friend of both Arthur and I named George Acevedo. He's going to be oh, on. Uh, he'll be talking about the, the low on politics question some more. Uh, the idea of third way, neither Democrat nor Republican, but what does it mean to be a Christ follower in, in the political world today? I look forward uh, to that so. conversation because he focuses a lot on the Holy Spirit. So that's going to be a fun time to kind of talk about how does the spirit move? Yeah. And, and prayers for him and his church, his church, Cape Coral, Florida, was right in the path of Ian. Uh, they still don't have power as of today. So uh, George has been dealing with that there at their church. All right. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are live 3.30 p.m. Central on Wednesdays on Facebook and then available on podcast afterwards. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.